Thanks for joining me, everybody, for a special edition of the Beaver Tales podcast. I am honored to be joined today on this episode by Pat Casey, legendary baseball coach of Oregon State through the 2018 season, winning three national championships. This podcast is meant to be a where are they now podcast to follow former Oregon State athletes and coaches, get their look at their favorite memories from Oregon State, what they've learned since then, all the life lessons that they experienced in and after their time at Oregon State. And Pat Casey has plenty to talk about, plenty of highlights and plenty of philosophies that he developed over time. In fact, that's probably the best thing about this conversation is that we really dive into coaching philosophy, the thing that, you know, really made him a special coach and, and to delve into why was he different and so special as a coach? What was it that he believed and focused on and was intent about that, uh, you know, separated him from a lot of other coaches that are somewhat successful, but not to the degree of his resume of 900 career wins, of six trips to the College World Series, of five times being named National Coach of the Year. And the nice thing about talking about coach philosophy as well as life philosophy with Pat Casey is that he really blends the two. I could ask a question about coaching philosophy and he'd make an analogy about life, right? I'd ask him a question about life and he'd say, well, it's just like coaching. I mean, he'll go one to the other and bounce back and forth and it's easy to lose track of if he's talking about sports or life. And I think part of that is the point, is that there's a large crossover of the lessons he's learned and that we can attribute and apply to today. And honestly, that's perfect because there are so many things going on in America and worldwide right now that are so much bigger than sports. I mean, we're not even really playing sports right now with a few exceptions, but let's focus on things broader than sports. And even if it starts out as a sports conversation or you clicked on this podcast because of what Pat Casey means to you as a sports fan, there's a lot there of his coaching philosophy that is grounded in athletics, but it is so much broader and I think even applicable, at least to a certain degree, to everything else going on. No, we don't cover every topic. I do ask one question related to what's going on today, both with the coronavirus and with protests for racial equality. He does correctly point out, well, those are two very different things and require different responses. So I appreciate that he pointed that out and, and gives a great answer to that. But I think overall, a lot of his responses and his well-thought-out answers have to do so much with meaningful life issues as well as sports and coaching and uh, just everything that's so valuable right now. But there's plenty to talk about in and of that for Pat Casey and plenty of highlights as well. We didn't even cover it all. We'll have a whole separate conversation, I believe, down the road talking more particularly about memories of the 2018 postseason for the documentary that I'm producing for that. Now, before we get to this conversation, there's multiple charities that I feature on this podcast. One of them is one of his former players, Pat Casey's own uh, Matt Boyd, because Matt started an organization based in Uganda. It's called Kingdom Home. But there's another organization that I'd like to mention today, and it's called Children's Garden. They're a fantastic nonprofit in the Philippines run by a married couple that I know personally. It's a small organization, just the two of them. And then about a dozen kids, they're just boys who you know, may be living on the street there in the Philippines. They take them in, give them a place to stay and education. Oftentimes, the kids will stay there for years until they're 18 or even older uh, before they move on. Oftentimes, moving on to college and a lot of amazing stories. It's so small that your money will go a long way. It's not a giant organization with a ton of you know large overhead but uh, your money will be very impactful at Children's Garden. So their website is childrensgarden.ph. There's a link in the description as well, and hope you can check them out. 
All right, hope you enjoyed this conversation with Pat Casey. Even the first thing we talk about is not just him being a coach, but how many of his players went on to become coaches themselves and how satisfying that is to see them develop into what he became as a coach. So here is Oregon State legendary baseball coach here on the Beaver Tales podcast. It's Pat Casey. Well, Pat, let's start with kind of referencing some of the other conversations I've had with some of the players I've been able to talk to. It's been meaningful to hear from from other Oregon State figures like Pat Bailey, for example, and I chatted with Bill Rao earlier this week, and it hit me how many of the players you coached went on to themselves become coaches. For example, you know Joey Wong, Kyle Novak, Darwin Barney, Bill Rao, Tyler Graham, Mitch Canham. I mean, that's just a sampling of all those guys. So when you try to build your athletes into baseball players, but also young men who impact the next generation. What has that been like to see so many of your former players themselves become coaches? Well, you know, I, I, it's obviously gratifying to see that when you're coaching young men. I think at the time, of course, when I was playing, I never dreamed I'd be a coach, never thought about being a coach. And so I'm, I'm certain that a lot of those guys, most of them probably didn't know they'd get into coaching or felt like they'd be a big league player or something like that so it's neat to see i mean i think it's really a profession where you can really influence young men and you can really have a difference in their life and it's not easy it's you have to understand athletes you have to understand how things evolve you have to understand how they are in constant change and um, what's going on in the environment in order to reach these guys and um, you know i know it used to be Back many, many years ago when people ran their program and, you know, they kids did everything uh, from getting their hair cut the way they were told to doing everything exactly the same. And it's just not that way anymore. And, you know, you have to understand that and you have to take your style and make it work for the group of guys you have. And if you can't do that, it makes it difficult. So I'm glad to see people that are younger that have a feel and a passion for the game and then also for the changes that are happening with young athletes. When I was talking with Pat Bailey, he shared a story of maybe his first meeting with you. He he already knew you, but this was kind of when he was considering becoming an assistant coach with Oregon State back around 2007. And he asked you a question. He said, "What what business are you in? You know, are you just a baseball coach?" And you said, "The man building business was was your answer." So where did that initially come from to care more about? building these baseball players not just on the diamond but as men where did that come from to prioritize something other than baseball something bigger than baseball well you know i think i think growing up in an athletic home and having three brothers and having a dad that loved athletics but always said hey man uh, being a better man than a, a better athlete is as important and there's so many facets of being a man there's how you respect other people how you respect um yourself, how you respect women, how you respect the game, how you respect work ethic. So there's so many facets of being a man and building a man. It's very difficult to think that someone is going to have a lot of success in one area of their life if, if they fail in another area. That's just hard to do. So it was easy for me to see, I guess, that in order for a kid to be a very productive, very successful baseball player, student athlete, and eventually go on to be a, a father and a husband, we had to build the man. We had to do it from the ground up, and we had to have similar ideas of what's right and, and how we should be doing things. And like I said, every, a lot of people come from different environments. A lot of people 
have different backgrounds. A lot of people have got a head start on other people. So it, it, it isn't a cookie-cutter philosophy. I think you have to understand and know each, each kid individually, and um, you have to put expectations on how you want them to play, how you want them to act, and then also get to know the person individually or you're never going to really probably reach them. When you talk about you know building them as men of character, preparing them to be you know husbands or fathers or whatever it may be in the future, it can get vague to say you know we want them to be better people or have more high integrity. So sometimes it's necessary to define what it means to be a better person, what sort of characteristics that includes. So for you, how did you find that definition for not just vaguely being a better person, but more specifically, what really that means? How, how did you come to define that over the course of your coaching career? Well, you know, everything you do, you know, you get better at doing it or you don't do it very long. Um, you know, trial and error was always, um, uh, you know, my staple because I wasn't smart enough to not fail. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of trial, a lot of error and learn from each and every time I did it. But you know, like I said, I don't think that there's a, a book that tells you how you're supposed to act. You know, I think that there's a there there is a um, a a value to how you understand right and wrong, and there's an extreme importance of you know justice, and there's an extreme importance of work ethic, and um, um, a, and a knowledge of of what it means to be um, a, a good person, and. Uh, I think you have to actually work at that. I think you actually have to show up at practice and act like that. I think you have to represent yourself that way. I don't think me asking guys to improve their life or tell them, hey, here's five ways to improve your life would work. I think that we as coaches, our staff, we had to walk the walk. I think we had to lead the way. I think we had to be an example. I think we also had to understand that uh, – we were 18 years old at one time, made a ton of mistakes, did a lot of things, have to understand those things, have to try to, you know, educate, teach. I mean, you could go on and on and on, but, you know, I, I just think we try to get the player vested in what our values are, our core values as a, as a, as a group. And when you do that, you know, you understand that one young man may come from uh, one part of the world, another guy from another part, one guy from a single family, one guy from a a family of faith, just different backgrounds. And so therefore, you know, um, how someone comes on board and how quickly sometimes is different and different for each and every one of them. And what's, what's really important to one kid, another kid may have never had that expressed to him, you know, and so there's a, a process to that. But I think, you know, I always tell guys, you can't change the man until you change the mind. And so I think it all starts there. I think you better have a tough minded young man. You got to have a young man that understands that doing things right aren't always easy. But if you just do the right thing next, you know, the next right thing, just do the right thing, you know, that eliminates a lot of gray area. Yeah, you make a good point that, you know, guys come from so many different backgrounds. And I think of, you know, how different Jack Anderson and Kyle Novak were and how different of coaching they needed. But even on a broader scale, I'd also kind of like your thoughts on how you might use this moment, this kind of time period in America to coach others, even if you're not technically coaching a team now. And, and with multiple factors, including the, the coronavirus, protests for racial equality, a lot of tension in America, but an opportunity to handle this situation with care and with respect and with integrity. What is something you would want student athletes or, or even just community members at a larger level 
to be learning at a time like this, the sort of thing that, that you would coach up or or use as a teaching lesson, the sort of values you would want to instill at a time like this, what sort of values do you think are the most important? Well, you know, you're asking, you know, the questions you ask are have complete, completely different ways of which I would approach things. There's things you can control and there's things you can't control. Uh, the coronavirus, unfortunately, is something that the athletic department can't control. It's out of their control as to when they're allowed to come back, when they're allowed to work out, and what they're allowed to do. And therefore, you know, there's, that's a completely different situation. I think if you always fall back on the principles, if you treat people with respect and dignity and you care about people, it's going to solve a lot of your problems. You know, um, they wrote 10 laws a long, long, long time ago on some tablets. And if people would just follow those, you could wipe out the other 600,000 laws that have been written since those 10 laws were written. You know, love your neighbor, pretty simple. You know, treat people with respect, you know, things like that. So I just think that if, you, if you're a person that cares about other people, that you need to care about other people all the time. And um, I think that what we have a tendency to do maybe once in a while is, you know, you know, all athletes are out of control. You know what I mean? Um, all engineering students are nerds. All, you know, we, we throw everybody in these groups and, you know, we really, you know, don't get into a situation where we really start to try to understand people and try to understand the difficulties that some people may have encountered that other people may not have encountered, the background of people. And if you genuinely care about somebody, there's mistakes that are made. You know, people that love each other doesn't excuse the fact that there may be, you know, you might get mad at them once in a while, you, you know, but if you love them, you know, a different story. And um, it's like players. You know, I 30 years ago would never dream of a player telling me he loved me or me telling I loved a player. It happens all the time now. And, um, you know, it's meaningful because of the fact that there's times that players get pissed off at you and they should. And if they don't, then you're probably not doing your job. Kind of like being a parent. If you want to be friends with your kids, you're probably going to end up raising their kids. You know what I mean? Parents weren't made to be buddies with their kids, made to be, made to be parents, you know? And you, you create expectation levels in them. You teach them, and you should always be teaching them, and you should have a unbelievable – parents and kids and families love each other unconditionally, and therefore you can make mistakes, and that's the way – I think it should be in society. We should love each other unconditionally. And therefore, when somebody makes a mistake, doesn't excuse it, but you try to fix it instead of making it worse. And it's like players, you know, there's players that have, I've had conversations with in meetings that have said things to me that made me realize, hey, I should have handled that situation better or differently. And, you know, maybe 25, 30 years ago in this coaching profession, you wouldn't do that. You just tell the kid, hey, you know, this is the way we do it, or blah, blah, blah. But um, I've seen a lot of mistakes made by a lot of great coaches that wouldn't, didn't want to understand that times change and that in the environment of which young people come from changes. Um, things in society um, change. Um, the, the, the problems, you know, that we have today, they may never have had 30 years ago. The problems they may have in 30 years from now, we may never have had. You know, you got social media. People get on social media and say things, and they wish they wouldn't have said them. But it opens up um, a opportunity for people to come on and say things that are, um, you know, not helpful. And uh, and then you can hide yourself, and you can be, you know, Billy Beaver and say whatever you want, or 
you know, Danny Duck and come on and, you know, say anything you want about anybody and you don't have to identify yourself and it may be true and it may not be true. And then these young student athletes and these coaches have to deal with those things, whether they're accurate or not. And so the environment of which we're working in today is so much different. But if we just go back to the basics, if we just go back to the things that were important 50 years ago, we'd find out those things are important today. You know, how you treat somebody is extremely important. I don't care where they are, where they're from. It's like, I hate losing. I absolutely hate losing. But I always told our guys, you never fear anybody, but you respect everybody, you know. And um, I was a sore loser, but I always felt like that I was respectful, even though there are times that I wasn't. But, I mean, you tried. But, anyway, I, I just I just think if we go back right to the core uh, basics of how you treat a human being, things would be a lot simpler. You know, most of the things that are really, really, really difficult have the simplest solutions of all. It's like coaching. The more complicated you can make it, the more complicated it is. And if you want to just really be Joe coach and come out with 75 plays and it's so difficult that the kid, you're telling everybody we spend hours and hours in the classroom, in my opinion, that isn't the way you, you that, that the kid's going to excel. You know what? I don't coach out of a book and I don't care how many plays you got. And I don't care how sophisticated it is. If you don't do it well, you don't win. But if you do things that you think are important, well, you got a chance to win. And those things don't have to be a lot, but when those things that you buy into, those things that you that are your staple, those things that you rely on, those things you hang your hat on, you better do them damn well if you want to win consistently. And the way to do them damn well is don't complicate it. Yeah, it can get real complicated when we have, you know, 10 situations or, or issues that need, you know, a lot of work to fix. And we think, man, there's only going to be complicated answers to these questions. Really, it's it's not a complicated topic. It's, you know, loving people unconditionally. It's just not an easy thing to do, even if it is fairly simple of what that answer is. But you're totally right. And I, I think those are, are wise words. And I think there, there's another, you know, question that's been fun to ask some of these players, especially the guys on the 2018 championship squad or on the 06 squad or, or the coaches who have been there for a while is in terms of reaching success on a high level and how that impacted you. I mean, your last game at OSU was your 900th win. It was your third national championship. And I'm sure in the moment there was a lot of joy and fervor in the, in the dog pile and all that, but few people get to experience what winning a national championship is like and what that lingering feeling is for, you know, the next 10 years, 15 years, like your first ones back in 06 and 07. So from your perspective, what is something about winning national championships or whatever other successful things that you look upon most highly that, you know, the 99% of people who haven't won a national championship might not know? Well, I can't speak for those that they might not know because they might not know it or they may know it and may not be able to do it. You know, the first thing is, I, I say this all the time, somebody says said to me clear back in 05, you know, how did you get to the World Series? You know, what what's the key to that? Well, it's the same key that most people would tell you that run a business or teach school or, or you know, are you know in charge of the family. You win with people. You absolutely 100% win with people. And you have to have people that buy into people. You have to have people that believe in one another. You have to believe in them before they're ever going to believe in you. And it's hard for someone to imagine that someone's going to trust you if you don't trust them. And that's where, you know, this stuff comes into coaching. It's very, very difficult. You have to, you know, the honesty factor um, from a kid. You have to be honest with me. 
you're going to make mistakes, but if you're not honest, I can't trust you. You know, and so the very first thing you have to do is establish the fact that you're going to be honest with me because then I can trust you. And if I trust you, then we're going to have good communication. If we have good communication and you're honest and I trust you, we're going to have a good relationship. If we don't have good communication, it's possible to have a good relationship. So, um, you know, things aren't that difficult if you just say, hey, you know, we're all in this together. We're all going to make mistakes, but we're going to find a common denominator with one another how we move forward. And we're going to buy into that. We're going to live with it. And we're going to trust it. And, uh, and each and every one of you guys will realize that when that happens, your teammate will become more important than you. And then you will know that that is one of the most important key factors in winning. When you have elite players that make every other player on the team feel like they're as important as them, now you now you've you've reached the first step of we got a chance to do this because then all of a sudden selfishness goes away, ego goes away, over fours and winning don't make you upset. You know how do you think a player feels when you win a game and your superstar goes over four and he's in the back of the bus pouting and crying? They say he don't care about us; he cares about himself. But if he goes over four and he wins, he's going up to the guy that was hitting 250 and struggling and says, hey, man, Billy, great game, awesome, pats him on the ass, boom, goes over and gets the guy that came in and got two guys out. Man, the respect, the the passion, the care, and those things carry on. I guarantee you right now if Kyle Novak called Trevor Larnick or Trevor Larnick called Jackie Anderson or Jackie Anderson called Nick Madrigal or Nick Madrigal called, you know, uh, Adley Rutschman, that guy would be there for them in a second, and I'm proud of that. And that's that's that is a huge part of coaching. That's if you can't get people to trust one another, and you can't trust them, and they don't trust you, it doesn't matter how good a coach you are. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what book you read, how to do this, that, and the other, or how amazingly intelligent you are. You ain't gonna win. And um, you know those are the difference between. Wisdom and intelligence, and intelligence can get you in trouble, and wisdom can get you out of trouble. I can tell you that. So they're both important, but you know we need to build a team of. In my particular sport, it was men, and it can be females, but we need to to build a team of men of character, individual will that would become a team will if enough individuals are willing, and so therefore. Sometimes people get fooled by their, they think their heart, you know, follow your heart. Well, sometimes your heart can fool you because something might be a little more difficult than it should be. And so there you got to follow your will. You know, your will has to be that that propels you through tough times. And um, that, that, that's important, man. And that, because, you know, what, when, when people come here, I always tell them, when you come here, what you thought was a sacrifice when you leave, you understand was an opportunity then you've had success. And and I won't have to worry about your batting average or your ERA because it'll take care of itself. People think that lifting weights is a sacrifice. Don't think it is at all. You know, go to some place where someone is missing an arm or a leg or can't lift. You'll find out they do anything to lift. Being able to lift weights is an opportunity. Going to school, getting into education is not a sacrifice. It's giving you an opportunity. So when those things flip the switch, um, the winning and the losing, you know, that takes care of itself. And um, pretty soon you're not playing nine guys, you're playing one team. 
you know, mm. individuals can win some games, but teams win championships, and there's no doubt about that. And do you have to have good players? Absolutely. But I've had good players that didn't have good team work ethic, good team spirit, good team vision that I struggled with a little bit. So it doesn't really matter the talent of one individual. It matters the accumulation of talent as a team. And it seems the perfect example of what you're talking about earlier, the, the high-level guy who needs to care more about the team than he does his own self, the superstar who you can tell, you can learn a lot about himself when he starts to fail for a little bit and see how he handles it. Nick Madrigal was one of the most phenomenal baseball players in Oregon State history. And sure, he didn't get a hit in the finals. I mean, he did great the rest of the time in Omaha. He didn't get a hit in, against Arkansas. But from what I've asked of the other players, it seems like he was far from being that superstar who pouts in the back of the bus, right? Right. Well, that's a perfect example. That's a very good point, Josh. Is Think about this. Nick Madrigal didn't need to get a hit for us to win the college championship three-game series. Nick Madrigal needed to be Nick Madrigal. Mm. He needed to be in uniform. He needed to be, his presence needed to be there way more than his statistics. And it's proven by the fact that, like you said, he didn't get a hit. Didn't need to get a hit. He was Nick Madrigal. We wouldn't have been there without him. What people don't understand is that he hit some balls well that were caught. In that inning of which we scored, he hit a ball to the right side with two strikes that moved the runner from second to third. So there was no play at the plate on, on the ball that Grenier hit. So, you know, if he's at second base and not third base and he's held up, maybe they don't pitch to Larney. So his presence in the dugout, his willingness to say, I want to win a championship, and he wasn't. Did he want to get a hit? Absolutely. should want to get a hit. Uh, you know, he should have passionately wanted to get a hit, but that wasn't more important than us winning the game or him going out and being the guy he is. Perfect point. Um, when you can take players like Jack Anderson and Kyle Novak and tell one of them, who just gets a big hit in the game, hey, you're not starting the next game because I like the matchup with the other guy. Let's go. I like it. We'll roll. I got Nobi. I got you back. Um, just things like that. Um, I had a guy come in my office in the game against Minnesota in the Super Regionals and say, hey, coach, I really want this guy in the lineup. And I know a lot of guys in the team want this guy in the lineup. And I said, you know what? He'll be in the lineup. And he was, and he got a big, big hit. He hit a ball down the line against a guy that's going to get drafted tonight, about the seventh or eighth pick in the country, Max Meyer. So um, players and coaches, man, should it be a perfect mix all the time? Hell no. Man, should you be, should you be uh, at odds once in a while? Heck yes. Absolutely. Should players get ruffled feathers once in a while with one another? Heck yes. Should everything be smooth? Heck no. I mean, come on. Nobody goes through life like that. That's not part of it. But what is a really important part of that is that that's not the, the ultimate. The, the argument or the disagreement or the little scuffle, that's not the end all. That's just, that's just our passion to get after it and to compete. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, you pat somebody on the ass or the next day and let's go. And so um, I don't have a, you know, I don't have a perfect solution. There's no pixie dust. Um, there's no, I didn't read a book. I, I unfortunately didn't get to be an assistant coach. So I didn't get to learn from anybody else. So I made a ton of mistakes. What I do know, here's what I do know. I do know that players win games and that they're the ones that should be credited for the championships. And, you know, when you start thinking it's about yourself, you can start understanding that that's going to be short lived because you can't fool young people and you just can't fool them. And like I said, if, if they know you're in it with them, you're vested, 
you're part of it and you're in it together. And when it's raining, it's raining on you as much as it's raining on them. And when it's time to practice, you're practicing with them. And um, they care about that. They know you. And, and, and they know you're going to make some mistakes. So I'm not a guy, you know, I like a lot of people that look at our team, how we play, and feel like we're disciplined. And, oh, Coach Casey must be just really hard to play for, really, a, you know, a tyrant and everything else. And I laugh about that. I'm easy to play for, but I have difficult expectations to meet. And that's what makes, in my opinion, makes those guys understand how much I care about them. If I have low expectations for you, man, you came to the wrong place. You're going to be average. If I have expectations that you don't think you can meet and you leave and you met them, then you should be happy. And so easy to play for, hard to please, you know? Hmm. And um, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Right. I mean, there are so many examples that has come up, you know, the, the Michael Gretler stories of, you know, he wasn't sure you, you asked him who's the best player in this team. And he said, well, KJ Harrison. And on paper that was correct maybe, but, but you said you need to think you, you had higher expectations for Michael Gretler than he had of himself. And the same thing for Steven Kwan and the same thing for Kyle Novak and um, well, top to bottom really. But what you're saying has clearly, you know, you've walked the walk on that and the players who I've talked to have, have explored that as well. Um, there's a lot more 2018 moments that I'll come back to in, in just a moment, but there's one more question kind of on a different topic I'll ask first. And one of the more important things I'm sure to you is is your family. Even before the baseball games ever get played, everyone from your wife Susan, your, your daughter Ellie, Joe being on that championship team a couple of years ago, Brett having played for you a few years before, and, and John being the biggest Beaver fan of them all, I'm sure. Um, and I'm sure it was meaningful to enjoy that with, with the family, to have Father's Day there in Omaha in 2018, albeit the day after that North Carolina loss. But I'd actually like to ask about John even in particular, since your son Joe shared how valuable OSU baseball has become to John, celebrating on the field after the title. Can you explain, you know, whatever stories you want to bring up, just how much your relationship with John has blossomed over the years because of your mutual love of Oregon State baseball? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing I say is, you know, uh, all of us that are involved in family, um, regardless of what we do, where we're at, are blessed to have family. And those that don't have family, um, you know, um, they can probably tell you how important family is if someone doesn't have a family member. So, you know, I'm, I'm just one of those blessed people that has fortunate to have an amazing wife and amazing children. And have a unique child in Jonathan. And when you have a child like Jonathan, you know, the first thing you think about is, you know, why, maybe why does that have to happen to him? Or why does that have to happen to us? Or, you know, that's so bad. That's so unfortunate. And they start calling them special needs kids. But really, you don't discover that they need you. You need them. And I was like every other parent. My son was going to be the quarterback on the team or whatever. Or you dreamed of that or you want that. And he wasn't going to be. And so, it helped me out because um, I was someone that played sports my whole life and someone who um, always had, for some reason, passion for the underdog, but probably never thought that I might have a child that wouldn't end up being um, someone who's going to be playing sports on a regular basis and have success. And um, so, man, the reality of that helped me as a coach, helped me as a human being, it helped me as a person, it helped me as a man, it helped me understand other people that maybe I never even dreamed of that would go through some of those situations because 
you know, I never faced those things. And um, they're all special. You know, it was special to have Brett. Um, I, I wish I would have been a better coach at the time. I don't think I was very experienced with coaching my son. I don't think that I did a very good job with him. Um, I think I did a better job with Joe and um, having them both with me in the World Series, Father's Day in Omaha. Uh, my father was there as well. Um, all those things are, shoot, man, I'm just blessed. And, and I'm having 27 other kids with me that I considered family was like having one big family. You know? And um, it's, uh, it's, it's just a really unbelievable profession to be in. And, um, and difficult. If you want to be like anything, you know what I mean? If you want something to be really, really good, you better really, really work. And if you really, really want to be good, that work better be with passion. And so, you know, I'm just blessed. I was blessed to be able to coach unbelievable guys. You know, you bring up a person like Michael Gretler and you bring up Stephen Kwan. I can tell you probably a story by every person just about that I've ever coached. And you know, things of that nature, you know, whether it was me trying to uh, convince Kwani that, you know what, when you start thinking you're as good as I think you are, just think of the kind of player you're going to be. Or, you know, knowing that someone lost their parent, you know, knowing that somebody has trouble in school, knowing that somebody has trouble with a girl, man, you know, whatever it may be, you're a parent to a lot of them and you're also a coach. So there's a fine line you have to walk and that can be difficult at times. But, um, I just, I just always uh, wish, like anything else, that you, you know, as a coach, that you had taken more time to tell guys how much you cared, because sometimes that coaching world gets going real, real fast, and things happen real, real fast, and um, emotions and energy and competitiveness get in the way sometimes, and um, so you just, you just like everything else, man, you just. Uh, you, you, you roll on. And, um, like I said, every, if you have a perfect life and you raise your children and there's a perfect day every day, I want you to come and tell me how to do that. Cause I, I just never was capable of doing that. Well, we're in the home stretch of this conversation with Pat Casey. I hope you found a lot of meaningful stuff about what he finds to be most important about being a coach and what creates successful teams, successful players, successful men. There's another part of this conversation that I'm actually not including in this podcast. A lot of these episodes I'm having with the baseball players are also repurposed for the documentary and sometimes exclusively for the documentary where they won't even be in these podcasts. So you have to keep an eye out for that uh, audio documentary when it comes out a few months from now. But there is one more question I'll include here. Pat Casey's answer when I asked him, about a story of a 2018 guy that stood out. I didn't name a particular one, just kind of let him take that wherever he wanted to. And as is usual for a coach, it's difficult to limit it to one. So he talks about multiple, but here's Pat Casey talking about some of the special memories of guys that developed before his eyes, the, how the mental game helped them, how they mentally improved over the course of their career and became more calm, more prepared more able to walk into the batter's box already feeling like they knew where they were and they were ready to do their job. So here's one final part of this conversation with Pat Casey. Each and every guy individually stands out to me. Um, there, you know, I could tell you that, you know, no back could hardly walk the year before and never thought he'd play again and to come and have such an impact. Trevor Larnick, I mean, you're talking about a guy, look at his statistics as a freshman. You talk about a guy that his mind changed, which 
allowed those gifts that he had. He was he was always going to be. I, I said as a freshman, this guy's going to put up numbers like Michael Conforto. He just he has to believe at first. I, they all grew up before my eyes. Some of them were a, a lot more advanced when they got there. When you see Kevin Abel evolve in that short a period of time. Some guys need more mental help than other guys. Some guys need more physical help than other guys. Some guys need a combination of them. Some guys need to be kicked in the butt. Some guys need to be patted in the butt. That's coaching. That's You have to recognize how you get Jimmy to climb that hill, and it may be different than how you get Bob to climb the hill. You just have to recognize that. You just have to find out, and sometimes it's trial and error. You have to find out what works. What worked for Kwani may not have worked for Magical. Magical was a different cat, man. That, that guy... You had to tell him to quit taking ground balls, quit taking swings. Where another guy, you might have to say, hey, we've got to really work on getting you more ground balls. We've got to get you more swings. Every guy's different. Um, the mentality, um, you know, where they came from, who coached them, um, who, who coddled them, who didn't coddle them, who, who, who had a, you know, a little rougher upbringing than someone else. Those are things that are, guy, you know, like I said, guys don't excel necessarily because they're so talented because everybody that comes to a division one school in any sport is there for a reason they're talented so how do you get to them excel how do you get their talent out of them how do you find out where their ceiling is how do you find out um what they think is is a level of of expectation and performance is good compared to what you think is where where and you that's where coaching in my opinion that's where coaching comes in you've got to learn who that man is before you learn who that player is. And part of it is, is maybe watching them. Oh man, this guy was really good in the fall. All of a sudden the, 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 the lights came on, the scoreboards go up and people in the stands and he's not quite the guy. Okay. Got it. we got a, we, we got a, a confidence issue or, Hey man, we got a self-esteem issue or, Hey man, we got a fear factor, whatever it may be. And you know, you, you just, you just understand, okay, here's what we're going to build from. And sometimes, like I said, magical, you know, I, I just really think that he was a guy that if you tried to really coach him up, you were doing yourself a disservice because of the fact that he had such a unique way of playing and such a motor to play and such a will to play and such a just unbelievable ability to do things instinctively that other people couldn't do. And so, therefore, got to understand that. you got to let him go. Um, other guys, you know, you got to say, hey, man, you got to get from first to third and, you know, push the buttons there, but... Um, Anyhow, yeah, I think the mental part's huge. And like I said, some guys need it more than other guys. Some guys need to toughen up. Some guys need to loosen up. Some guys need to relax. Some guys need to get intense. Um, the fine line, man, we call it controlled fury. That's a, just a really oxymoron, right? Like jumbo shrimp. You know what I mean? How does that work? You know, how do I stay controlled, but I'm in, a, I'm in, a, I'm in an absolute state of competition, of rivalry, of fury. How do I do that and stay relaxed? Well, that's the key. That's why very few guys can do it. And uh, so we work at that stuff all the time. Um, they work at it all the time. And, um, you know, together we were, we climbed the big mountain, man. And it was, it was awesome. Can't tell you how fortunate I was to be the guy that was the head coach. Can't tell you how fortunate I was to have the players I had. Can't tell you how fortunate I was to have so much support um, that you mentioned uh, whether it's family support, whether it was our strength guy, our um, doctors, our trainers, uh, our you know equipment guys, it's just it's just a big family, man, and it is. And you know what? If you're fearful, uh, one of the mistakes I think that we make in coaching, we try to make everything right. We try to fix all the problems. You know what I mean? And then when you try to fix all the struggles on the journey, 
you ruin the destination. You know, there's going to be struggles. If there's not struggles, then you ain't created a big enough dream, man. You should create something that is so difficult to accomplish that there's going to be um, chaos once in a while. There's going to be upset people. There's going to be stuff flying around. There's going to be things said that shouldn't be said. There's going to be loving and hugging, and then there's going to be shoving and pushing. And um, I think all that stuff's funny. You know, I mean, I think it's all part of what you do, and I think people fear that because they want to make everything just perfect. I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to have an unbelievable experience every day, every second, and that's not reality. And so um, if you try to get out of reality and then put them in a situation of competition and they think that, oh, wait a minute, that guy just threw me a fastball and I was guessing curveball and it's raining a little bit or, hey, man, it's a little hot or, hey, the bus was late or, hey, the flight got delayed or, hey, my food isn't good, you lose, you lose focus on what's important. So um, we just kind of create a team and create a team that knows that uh, there's going to be adversity and that high seas make great sailors. And uh, so then we start embracing some of those things. So I love those guys, love that team, and uh, looking forward to see how much success those guys all have in life. There's so many memories about 2018. We can circle back in, in a few weeks, but thanks so much for talking about coaching philosophy and, and important things. Thanks so much for, for taking time for me, Pat. You got it, Josh. I'll talk to you later, bud. Well, there were so many moments over the last 40 minutes or so with Pat Casey where I felt like that one theme could have been its own podcast, its own conversation, but he shares a lot of different pieces of wisdom, and uh, you can select any portion of this podcast and, and get some life lessons out of it. One of the ones I liked is pointing out if you've got the opportunity to play sports or even just have the physical ability to lift weights, not everybody has that. Look at the people who you know, maybe are missing arms. So if you can lift weights, that's an opportunity, not a sacrifice. So if that doesn't motivate you to fashion your own bench press in your backyard and get to work, then I don't know what will. But overall, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Pat Casey and found it meaningful. These are the deeper kind of conversations about what people are most passionate about that I enjoy having. And I hope you can enjoy it too and give me any feedback and what you'd like to see more of as well. As always on the Beaver Tales podcast, I'm Josh Warden. More great episodes to come around the corner. Good night and go Beavs.